Section 12 of Social Life in England, 1750-1850 by F. J. Folks Jackson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Lecture 4. Gunning's Reminiscences of Cambridge, Part 3. A notable character of the time was a certain Jimmy Gordon, who had fallen from a position of affluence to one of extreme degradation seeing the master of trinity who was also bishop of bristol gordon begged of him his lordship replied if you can find a greater scoundrel than yourself i will give you half a crown off went gordon and told beverley that the master wished to speak to him the master when beverley came remarked you have been misinformed mr beverley up came jimmy at this moment and said i think my lord i am entitled to my half crown i feel i must relate one more example of beverley's behaviour on mid-lent sunday it was customary for the vice-chancellor to drive in state and preach in the church at burwell and be accompanied by one or more of the esquire bettles after the sermon they all dined at a farmer's house and so enjoyed the ale and port wine that they did not go and hear the vicar at the afternoon service what sort of preacher is mr turner asked the vice-chancellor for my own part replied the tenant i would not go over the threshold to hear him preach if that be your opinion who have had frequent opportunities of hearing him i am of that opinion too and we will remain and have a few more glasses of your fine old port needless to remark the clergyman was furious at the having been thus neglected on the way back to cambridge a mr hole who was acting as a deputy bettle attacked mr beverley who had a good deal of wit and gave him more than he got then the vice-chancellor tried to defend mr hole and he too got more than he bargained for so he stopped the carriage and told beverley to go and sit on the box the beadle refused and told the other two that they had better get out and walk home they declined to follow his advice and it was not long before perfect quiet reigned among them and the university marshal who acted as vice-chancellor's servant imagined and it was not a very improbable conclusion that they had been overtaken by the drowsy god a more reputable but still very striking character was dr milner the president of queen's college his portrait is one i often study when i dine there a portly man in his red gown and doctor's wig he sits grasping the arms of his chair looking very strong and masterful in politics a strong tory attached by religious sympathy to the evangelical party editor of the church history of his brother from his force of character and his mathematical ability milner was long the ruler of the university caring nothing for public opinion he would have his own way and he is reported to have once exclaimed when settling a man's place in an examination and the man's tutor exclaimed surely you do not say that a is better than b i never said he was the better man i said he should stand above him it was the custom for the moderators who conducted the tripos and made out the lists to submit any doubtful case to some great mathematician who held a viva voce examination and as milner's undoubted ability made his judgment of great value he was often called to do this except where men of his own college or maudlin a great centre of evangelicalism 
were concerned, his judgment was excellent. But Gunning considers that he was quite unscrupulous when his partiality or interest led him to decide a point. Milner, though an ardent pietist and a valetudinarian, was somewhat notorious for the joviality of his supper parties, at which the bowl circulated freely and the fun was fast and furious. His powerful personality dominated the university, as may be seen from the fact that he did his best to stop the reform of Trinity College. In his account of this, Mr. Gunning draws a striking picture of the seniority of the college in the closing years of the eighteenth century. By its statutes, Trinity was practically governed by the master and the ten senior fellows, the latter men who had lived for years in the college without generally doing any work, being content with holding their fellowship and living in celibate idleness. Their power was great, and as it may well be supposed, they were not as a rule qualified to exercise it, especially when they claimed a right to select the fellows themselves without regard to the reports of the examiners. The tutors fought a hard battle to remove this abuse, and were taunted by Milner and the Tory party with being Jacobites and supporters of the French Revolution. The matter was decided in the courts, and the tutors won, with the result that a fellowship at Trinity became, in Macaulay's words, a veritable patent of nobility. I abbreviate Gunning's description of the seniority partly from a sense of propriety. The Reverend Stephen Whiston, B.D., was, says our author, I believe a very respectable man. The Reverend Samuel Backhouse, B.D., kept a girls' school at a village called Balsham. Was it profit that he sought? No, he paid them to be taught. Had he honor for his aim? No, he blushed to find it fame. The Reverend Samuel Peck, B.D., must have been rather a nice old man. He was a great authority on village law, and helped the country people gratis, saying, Sam Peck never takes a fee, but he loves gratitude, and the farmers paid him in presence of the produce of their land. He played a very clever trick upon Gunning's old Tudor seal by persuading him to share the expenses of treating two ladies on a journey from London to Cambridge, who turned out to be his own cook and waitress. The Reverend Thomas Wilson, B.D., had to have his garden key taken away, because he was rude to the master's wife one dark evening when she was returning from a party. The Reverend John Higgs, B.D., and the Reverend Thomas Spencer, B.D., were unknown to Gunning. Mr. Spencer was mad, and only came to Cambridge when his vote was wanted. The Reverend William Collier, B.D., was a well-known gourmand. He is recorded to have eaten three-quarters of a sucking pig, and to have left the rest because he was engaged to dine immediately after. He was a Hebrew scholar, a good classic, and a modern linguist. The Reverend James Lambert was an excellent sportsman, and was supposed to be unorthodox. Lambert was never addicted to those vices for which at that time the seniors of Trinity were so notorious, but when in college attended closely to literary pursuits. He was professor of Greek. Observe, except Lambert, all were B.D.'s. Here's an epitaph. Here lies a fellow of Trinity. He was a doctor of divinity. He knew as much about divinity as other fellows do of Trinity. 
my last character shall be dr farmer master of emmanuel a very amiable and delightful man we make his acquaintance as curate of the parish of swavesey a village with a most beautiful church then a place much larger and more prosperous than it is at present almost all the parishes around cambridge were served by fellows of the colleges who went over on sundays to take the prayers and they were rarely visited on any other day by a clergyman sunday was a great day in the colleges as these clergymen met after its labours and ate most jovial suppers farmer was regarded as a model of punctiliousness in the performance of his duties as he made a point of never missing a sunday at swavesey and of dining after service at the inn to which meal he usually invited one or more of the farmers he then rode back to cambridge slept an hour or so and appeared in the emmanuel parlour where he was the delight of the whole party people used to come for the weekend from london for the pleasure of hearing farmers conversation and mr pitt was much attached to him he was fond of rushing up to london to dine and one ash wednesday morning he announced to his vice-chancellor that he had to make haste to get to the university church in time for at three o'clock this morning i was blowing my pipe with the worshipful company of pewterers dr farmer became master of emmanuel and gunning suggests that he might have become head of trinity for the asking but when mr pitt sought his advice as to whom he should choose he simply replied if you want to oblige the society appoint postlewaite he was a great admirer of shakespeare and never missed a performance when a play of his was acted but we must leave these quaint personages for a more general view of the life of the university it had its splendid as well as its sordid side dress as i have already hinted played a great part in the pageant of the old place here is gunning's description of the fetes at commencement at the end of the summer term on commencement sunday the college walks were crowded every doctor of the university wore his scarlet robes during the whole day every nobleman wore his splendid robes not only in st mary's and in the college halls but also in the public walks their robes which are now uniformly purple were at that time of various colours according to the taste of the wearers purple white green and rose colour were to be seen at the same time there was also a good deal of ceremonial at other times and the barbaric was occasionally mingled with the magnificent as for example at the opening of stourbridge fair this fair now a poor and insignificant gathering was once the most famous in england and had ranked among the great fairs of europe in gunning's early days much of its splendour remained at its opening the vice-chancellor with his bettles and commissary the registrari the proctors and the taxers met in the senate house at eleven where everybody drank sherry and ate cakes after this all drove to the common and the vice-chancellor proclaimed the fair to be open the yeoman bettles on horseback repeating his words at different parts of the assembly then following a devouring of oysters in what was known as the tiled booth after which the university magnates strolled about the fair till dinner was ready it was no easy task to get into the dining-room because the people outside would not budge to allow the procession to pass the university being very unpopular because they supplied the mugs in which the beer was sold and these held notoriously short measure 
this was the only effort in the direction of temperance we meet with at this period and that was dishonest the dinner consisted of boiled pork herrings goose apple pie and beef the wine was bad but every one enjoyed himself despite the heat and discomfort of the tiled booth at half-past six they all went to the theatre how they got home is not recorded of intellectual pursuits gunning has little to record the disputations for degrees continued from the middle ages in which he took part frequently as disputant and knowing the rules of logic he was often able to overthrow men of admittedly more learning than himself there were good scholars and learned men at cambridge but we hear more of their schemes their quarrels and their amours than of their achievements in the schools porson the most famous gresham since bentley is hardly if ever mentioned it is a strange record of the days of old and the cambridge therein described seems to have been in another world than this yet some of us were alive when henry gunning died and i can myself remember characters almost as strange as he depicts but in all the book there is no one so strange as the writer himself in it we have the record not of a diarist but of an old old man in his last illness a man by his own account not devoid of piety or good feeling yet recollecting every slight every injury he had sustained nearly sixty years before the dislikes of his youth for men long gone to their account being as green and vigorous as they were when he first formed them one cannot even like him but nevertheless it is impossible to deny that he can not only amuse but instruct and that much would have been forgotten but for his dictated notes about the cambridge of his youth it was a nobler university before that age and it has risen perhaps even to greater heights since gunning saw the university of beverley and the seniors of trinity shine once more as the university of Hewell and macaulay of darwin tennyson and scores of great and good men that the improvement in days to come may equal if not surpass that which gunning witnessed is the prayer of him who has made the reminiscences the subject of this lecture End of section twelve